Well, talking about merging the idea of being a mystic, of a relationship with Christ, and an activist working for the agenda of Christ, I can't think of a better example of an organization than IJM or International Justice Mission. It's our privilege today to hear from them. And then it's going to be your privilege to be able to express your generosity and your commitment to the merging of those two concepts of what Christianity is by joining with, I think, 40 or 50 other people who have already done this from our church, including my wife Brenda and me, and becoming freedom partners. And you're going to hear more about that uh, from the president of International Justice Mission, Sean Litton. And he's here to bring the message this morning. Yeah, go ahead and grab that. Would you welcome uh, Sean? Good morning. Thank you, Art. Um, I'm already blessed to be here. That uh, music and the comments, I'm not sure that anything I have to share can add to what you've already heard, but because um, it's all in the same vein. Uh, it's really a privilege to be with you and the opportunity to share with you. Um, it's not something I take for granted. Uh, this church, uh, Marin Covenant, has this uh, reputation with IJM of being a church that is um, very much committed to the things that Jesus cares about, a church of deep compassion and um, with the courage to draw near to the things that are quite difficult in our, wor in our world. And the encouragement and support we have received uh, from this church has been a, a, just a source of inspiration to me personally and to my colleagues all over the world. And for those of you who don't know much about International Justice Mission, uh, we're a group of about almost a thousand people working around the world, uh, primarily, almost exclusively in the developing world, uh, working on the issues of slavery, gender-based violence, um, crimes against children. And uh, we're a Christian organization, but we're a group of, um, believe it or not, lawyers, uh, criminal investigators, uh, social workers, psychologists, um, who um, actually go into these situations and um, uh, try to bring rescue to people that are held, for example, in sex trafficking or in labor trafficking or being abused in some form or another, to bring rescue and then uh, to work with the authorities to bring restraint to the people, to break the power of the oppressor, the one that is actually, um, that's a very uh, unique Christian ministry, um, to to, to break the power of that oppressor uh, over, over those people, and then to, to restore the victim, the survivor, to health and wholeness and to flourishing. And lastly, then, to bring uh, reform to that overall system so that other people are not abused. So we're really going into places where there's literally no protection at all for people, that you can just abuse a child and you don't have to hide, you don't have to run because there's no law enforcement, no protection, no security at all. And then we're trying to change those systems so that people can flourish and live out uh, the life that God intended for them. Um, now, today is a very special day, and you may not have been aware of this, but it's Freedom Sunday. And this is a day set aside to rally the global church, all the followers of Jesus, to rise up with one voice and bring an end to modern day slavery. 
This started last year, just started last year. There were about 400 churches involved around the world. Uh, this year, there are about 2,700 churches all over the world hearing from someone just like me, talking about the same things that we're going to talk about. And, and what we see is this incredible movement within the global church as, as the church re reclaims its prophetic calling to seek justice and rescue the oppressed. The best estimates today are that there are over 45 million, 45 million men, women, and children held in slavery. And that's more than any other time in human history. But again, at the same time, there's an awakening going on. And, and what we heard from Art and Gina about um, people uh, not just um, seeking Jesus for their source, but then acting out uh, his values, his life into their communities. Um, this is happening all over the world. Um, and I'm excited to share a little bit this morning about God's heart uh, for justice. But first, I want to share a little bit of my own story, so this will be a little fun. Um, about 17 years ago, I married an honest-to-goodness mountain climber. Uh, that's her in the background of that picture. That's a mountain in Russia. That's not me with her. That's some other dude. And I don't know who he is, but I don't like him. Anyway, uh, um, uh, now, when my wife and I got married, we were both, you know, just poor single people, but we did combine our limited households. And, and Shannon, uh, she blessed me with a red mountain bike, a blender, an ice axe, sweet tent, and this famous book. It's called The Freedom of the Hills, and it's published by a group called The Mountaineers. Now, this book, I don't know if you're familiar with it. I was always afraid to buy it because I didn't want to be a poser. But this book tells you everything that you need to know to be an honest-to-goodness mountain climber. It describes equipments, knots, climbing techniques, even how to build a snow cave. It's known as the Bible of mountaineering. Now, the information in this book is so important that you can even buy like little playing cards that recite the more critical facts of the book so you can bring them back from your memory when you're in a crisis. And if you master all the information in this book, this Bible of mountaineering, you'll have all the knowledge necessary to experience the freedom of the hills. Pretty sweet. But we all realize that just reading the book, just memorizing the critical points, this does not make you a mountain climber. This will not give you the experience of the freedom of the hills. To be a mountain climber, to have that experience, you actually have to climb a mountain. But mountain climbing is risky, super risky. There's rain, snow, ice. The mountain resists you. Gravity is pressing down against you with every step you take forward. And there's not a lot of oxygen. People are exposed and vulnerable on mountains. Sometimes they get hurt. And the, and the, the simple fact is it's just not very safe. But it is safe and secure here on the sofa by the fire. <laughs> Look familiar? Gravity is your friend pulling you deeper into the plush cushions of the sofa. There's nothing resisting you. The temperature is controlled. There's television, books, Wi-Fi, a refrigerator. Comfort and security abound. But then if you stay safe there, if you avoid the risk and the vulnerability of the mountains, You'll never have that experience. Never have that experience of the soaring heights. 
Never know the experience of pushing through adversity to feel the joy of the summit. You can read about it, you can watch movies about it, but you'll never truly, truly know the freedom of the hills. So if you avoid the mountains, you'll be safe. But it'll be kind of unfulfilling, a sense that there's something missing, perhaps. And all that knowledge about mountain climbing, well, it will really make no meaningful difference in your life. The situation where the knowledge is there, but the actual experience is missing, is not too different than what we see in Isaiah chapter 58. In Isaiah chapter 58, the situation where God's people are crying out to him and they're frustrated. They're frustrated because God is not showing up in their lives the way that they want him to. They're not having the experience of him that they expected. So if you want to, you can read with me. I'm going to start in verse 2 of chapter 58, and I'm reading from the New Living Translation. This is how God's respond to his people's complaint. Yet they act so pious. They come to the temple every day and seem delighted to learn all about me. They act like a righteous nation that would never abandon the laws of its God. They ask me to take action on their behalf, pretending they want to be near me. We have fasted before you, they say. Why aren't you impressed? We have been very hard on ourselves, and you don't even notice it. Then after reciting his people's complaints about their unmet expectation, their lack of experience, God tells them what the problem is. Okay? Now, as we begin to hear God's voice in this, um, in this prophecy from Isaiah, I think it's, it's what Art said earlier, it's really easy to us to hear anger right? Like condemnation, judgment. I don't want you to hear it this way, and I'll try to do it with my voice as best I can. What I want you to hear is a father who loves his people and is calling them, pleading with them to follow him into the life that he wants for them, a good life, okay? I will tell you why I respond. It's because you are fasting to please yourselves even while you fast. You keep oppressing your workers. What good is fasting when you keep on fighting and quarreling? This kind of fasting will never get you anywhere with me. You humble yourselves by going through the motions of penance, bowing your heads like reeds bending in the wind. You dress in burlap and cover yourselves with ashes. Is this what you call fasting? Do you really think this will please the Lord? In these verses, God's identifying the essence of the problem. The people are fasting to please themselves. It's empty, self-centered religious knowledge and ritual. There's no risk. There's no exposure. There's no vulnerability. No need for faith. It's empty, inward-facing religious activity. And it will not draw them near to God. So in the next few verses, God tells his people just what they need to do to have the experience they want and the life that he's designed for them to live. No, this is the kind of fasting I want. Free those who are wrongly imprisoned. Lighten the burden of those who work for you. Let the oppressed go free. Remove the chains that bind people. Share your food with the hungry and give shelter to the homeless. Give clothes to those who need them and do not hide from relatives who need your help. God is telling us, 
how to draw near to him. This is true fasting. Free the oppressed. Remove the chains. Shelter the homeless. And then with this true fast comes this unbelievable promise. Then your salvation will come like the dawn and your wounds will quickly heal. Your godliness will lead you forward and the glory of the Lord will protect you from behind. Then when you call, the Lord will answer, yes, I am here. He will quickly reply. When you call, the Lord will answer, yes, I am here. It's an incredible promise. Leave safety and security behind. Yes, I am here. Take the risk. Become vulnerable. Yes, I am here. Engage with the brokenness of the world. Yes, I am here. Free the oppressed. Break the chains. Yes, I am here. God promises to meet us out there. There in the mess, the chaos, the hopelessness, and the heartache of a broken world. Yes, I am here. It's a great promise. It's a great promise. Question is, is it really true? Is it really true? Well, my colleagues and I at International Justice Mission have been putting it to the test for about 20 years. And we found it to be absolutely and completely true. And let me just give you one example, one story. 17 years ago, in the year 2000, I was working as a lawyer in Washington, and I came to church just like you did today. Uh, I came to church um, out of a sense of obligation, not expecting anything specific to happen. But I heard uh, Gary Haugen speak about little girls that were being trafficked into slavery. And, uh, and that no one was doing anything to help them. And no one was talking about this um, 20 years ago. So I, I applied for a job, and they hired me. I was the only one who applied, and they, they sent me to the Philippines. There I am. If I, if I look clueless in that picture, it's because I am. And uh, uh, I, this was my first trip to Asia. Um, and uh, I think it was the second stamp in my passport. The other one may have been Canada. Um, so, after, so I landed in Manila, Philippines, and the first thing I did was, was build a team of, of local uh, Filipinos. Here we are, uh, standing in the front of a motorcycle. The motorcycle's not ours, but we thought if we stood in front of it, we'd look more powerful. Um, this is the team, 17 years ago, that IJM put on the ground in Manila to end the rampant and unrestrained sex trafficking of children. An American on his first trip to Asia, three recent college graduates, and an unemployed pastor. We had no training, no experience, no credibility, extraordinarily limited resources. But we knew this, that there were children enslaved in the brothels of Manila, and that unless someone rescued them, those children would be sold night after night after night to customer after customer until there was nothing left to sell. And the other thing we understood was that God loved those children. He loved them so much that he sent his only son, Jesus Christ, to die on a cross for them. And he wanted them to be free. So we prayed. We prayed a lot. 
and we met with the local police to ask for help. At that time, the truth is the police were doing nothing about this problem. They weren't doing anything to protect these children. The Philippines had the laws. It was all against the law. All these abuses of these children, it was all against the law. But simply there was no enforcement of the law at all. You see, these were poor girls from poor families living in poor communities with no power, no influence, no education, and ultimately, in the human economy, no value other than just to be used. So the authorities just stood by as they were abused and did nothing. In late 2001, IJM's uh, Vice President of Investigations, who is a law enforcement guy, came to Manila to help us conduct our first uh, sex trafficking investigation. So posing as customers, Bob and I went out into the red light district and go-go bars of Manila. While we're doing this, we met a pimp named Dodo, and he offered to sell us some minor girls. And we arranged to come back later that week and purchase them. Then the next day, Bob and I met with the police and shared our information. We, we had pictures of the brothel, pictures of the girls, picture of the suspect, Dodo, maps of the location, and, and we even had video. So faced with this undeniable um, level of documentation, the police really had no choice. They had to act. So they, the police insisted that we rent a hotel suite and bring the girls there and then, um, so that they could confirm that they were actually children. So Bob went to the brothel to purchase the girls, and I waited in the suite with an undercover police officer who would confirm the girls were minors. That's me. Um, that's the undercover police officer. And that camera that took this picture is a camera I hid in the room, and the police officer didn't even know it was there because I didn't know if I could trust him. And I didn't know what was going to happen. So on that night, uh, December 13th, 2001, we rescued this young girl you see in this photo. Her name was Mirabelle. She was 16 years old, and she had come from one of the islands in the Philippines, from a very poor family. She had come to Manila simply looking for a job, looking for a way to send money home to help her family, only to find herself tricked and forced into prostitution, held in a brothel, forced to be a prostitute. Mirabel was the very first girl that IJM rescued in the Philippines. On December 13, 2001, she was set free. Amen. Free. And to me, that was a miracle, right? I think, gosh, this is amazing. My life, it's done. Right? A little girl's life completely transformed. But see, this was just the beginning. Since that night, IGM's worked with the Philippine authorities to rescue over 1,400 women and girls from situations of forced prostitution. But it's not enough just to rescue these girls. We wanted to stop them from being abused in the first place. 
So based in lessons learned in cases like Mirabel, we've, over the last 16 years, we've been working with the Philippines government to pass a whole new set of comprehensive anti-trafficking laws, to stand up and train an entirely new division of the Philippine National Police focused on protecting children, and increase the level of care throughout the country for survivors of trafficking. The government is taking these reforms and replicating them throughout the entire country. And what's most incredible about this is the government's funding all of these initiatives now with its own money. It's incredible. I never would have believed any of this could happen. And all those reforms are making a huge difference. Just in the last five years, in the areas where we have been able to measure, we are seeing reductions in the number of children being sold for, for sex. It's a 75 to 86% reduction. What that means is that thousands and thousands and thousands of girls that would have been abused will never be abused because they're safe, because the laws designed to protect them are being enforced. When I went to Manila 17 years ago, my goal was to rescue just one girl. At that time, this honestly seemed impossible to me, but worth trying. Never been to Asia, I'd only been a lawyer for three years. But remember that promise from Isaiah, free the oppressed, break the chains, then when you call on me, I will answer, yes, I am here. And God did meet me there. There among the abused and the forgotten, in the brothels and the bars, in my fear, in my frustration, in my weakness, in my vulnerability, when I did not know what to do or who to trust, when I called out to God, he responded, Sean, yes, I am here. And he did the miracle. Over a thousand children set free, thousands more that will never be abused, a transformed justice system. This has been my experience, and it's the experience everywhere that IJM is working today. And it's an open invitation to all of us this morning to show the world that God is real, that he does care about them. Remember that book, The Freedom of the Hills, The Bible of Mountaineering? Will we be the one that reads the book, memorizes the key facts and principles, and believes those principles with all our heart, but just never goes out and climbs, never experiences the freedom of the hills? Or will we follow our Father into the mountains and climb? Will the church be a platform to launch expeditions where climbers stop for rest and for nourishment, where people kid out before setting on the great adventure, then return sunburned, weary and sore to tell the tale of their adventure and inspire others to go and live their own grand adventure. God is inviting us to be good news to a world that badly needs it. He is inviting all of us to break free from our attachment to safety and security and put into practice the things that we know and that we believe. He calls us to seek justice and he promises to meet us out there. God is real. He's real. He actually hears the cry of the oppressed. He is inviting us, you and me, 
to show the world that this is true. God loves you. He heard your cry. He has sent me here to help you. What is God inviting you to do today? I would like to I would like you to consider two very concrete ways that you can head off into the mountains. First, think about the needs right now within arm's reach. And we heard um, some very tangible examples of this this morning. But even closer to home, perhaps, a neighbor who lost his job, a friend who's lost their spouse, a kid who's lost his way, a brother struggling with addiction, a sister whose husband has just walked out on her, a coworker that's chronically ill but has no family to support them. A group of people here in this community who have been marginalized, who are suffering, where the brutality of the world has crushed out the light of hope. Do something. Reach out, take the risk. Go to the Tenderloin District. See what happens. Second, I want to invite you to partner with International Justice Mission to help those beyond your arm's reach. Um, For girls like Mirabelle held captive in brothels, for little boys held in slavery on Lake Volta in Ghana, we cannot all go ourselves, but we can send someone to help them, to get them out of slavery, to show them that God is real, that he cares for them. Everyone here today has the opportunity to join the global fight to end slavery. If you look in your bulletin, you'll find this little envelope. It's a Freedom Partner envelope. It's a very simple envelope, a little piece of paper. And, 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 you, and it, it's an invitation to join us um, and engage in this fight to end slavery in our lifetime. And I want to be clear that it's a fight, okay? There's 45 million lives on the line. But this is, this is not... Um, these people are not suffering... Uh, because of a lack of food or a natural disaster or some environmental issue, they are suffering because people with power are abusing them. And that's going to continue to happen until some other power is brought to bear on their behalf. It's a fight. On On one side are the traffickers, the slave owners, the corrupt officials who use their power to abuse these people. And on the other side, is us, right here, and the power that God has given us. And so my invitation to you this morning is to take some of your power and put it on the table on behalf of these people who have no one else to help them. IJM works through local teams who go out and do this work, and by joining us, you are sending real people to help people who have no one else to help them. Um, if you fill this out, and I know, I know many of you have already joined us, like Pastor Art said, as Freedom Partners, and, and I just want to say thank you. I mean, because of you, uh, this year over 5,000 people are going to be rescued from slavery. And it's getting to the point now where, in terms of the protection that these reform systems are providing, that millions and millions of people are experiencing the protection of the life, protection of the law for the first time in history. So please join us. This is the great paradox, and you heard about it uh, this morning, that as we take these steps of faith, as we step away from security and we take the risks necessary to free others, we ourselves are also set free.
free. God sets us free. Free from bondage to fear and control. Free from all the unhealthy attachments that enslave us. Free to be God's agents of love and redemption in a hurting world. Free to be the very person that God intended you to be when he created you, when he called you into being your very most truest self. Do you want a deeper experience of Jesus? Do you want more of Jesus, of his spirit in your life? Jesus is waiting for you out there. There with the broken and the abused, the poor and the powerless, the hopeless and the heartbroken. If you go to them, if you send the help that is desperately needed, then when you call, the Lord will answer, yes, I am here. Thank you.